Well, if you have your Bibles, pull them out. And I want you to open to the book of Proverbs. Yeah, Proverbs. In fact, a couple places. Um, Proverbs chapter 4, and then with another finger, or your neighbor's finger, Proverbs 18. I want to look at a couple things here. We're going to talk today. My message title is called Friend Request. Friend Request. I'll put up a picture here on the screen. Uh, how many Facebookers do we have here? Anybody here in Facebook? How many anti-Facebook people we have? i got a few. All right. You know, uh, you know you're older if you do Facebook because the younger generation does Instagram pictures or the younger, younger does Snapchat. So the Facebook one. So I want to put up a picture here. How many of you have seen a picture like this before uh, on Facebook? Some of you might be thinking, you know, I have more than one friend that wants to be my friend. But many of us, we, we get a friend request like this, and we click on that image, and we look and we see somebody. Sometimes it's somebody that we would say, oh, boy, it would be great to be in touch with them. Many times, like I do, I check out who it is because sometimes I notice they're going to just try to sell stuff. They're selling sunglasses or shoes. Or I'll see people that put pictures in there that I don't want them you know, uh, putting anything on my timeline. But most of the time... If I see my wife's name as a friend, then I pretty much know that I'm safe to accept them as a friend. But here's what I know. Just because you might have a thousand Facebook friends, those aren't friends. Just because they love what you cooked for dinner last night or liked it or made a comment or something that you decorated, that doesn't mean that they're a friend. And so today, I want to go through Proverbs and then I want to kind of do a twist here at the end to look at what does the wisdom of God have to do and have to say about our friends, our friendship. So here's what I want you to do before we get started. If you have the bulletin, turn it over. Write down really quick your five best friends. If you have five. Five best. Write, write it down right away. Somebody you'd call if you were in trouble. Somebody you'd call because you want to go out and have a good time just to laugh. Somebody that's got a pool this afternoon that you're going to call them after to go to their house. No, don't do that. Uh, somebody that you would just call. You call that person because you need somebody to pray for you. You, you call somebody because you know that they'll answer because they see your, they, you see their name and you smile because that's a friend. So I want you to write down, but it's not the person that we typically would probably link a friend to. Again, many of the friendships that we have today are more like acquaintances. You know, there was an old sitcom called Cheers. And Cheers had a little tagline in their song. And it was, a place where everyone knows your name, right? A place where, well, we like that. We like people to call us by our name. And I love to do this every time. I find out that a, a couple is, is pregnant or they're going to have a baby. I, I say this all the time. You know, Walter is a great name if you have a boy. And they do exactly what you just did. They laugh at me. <laughs> you know, if, if you uh, remember the movie Toy Story, there was a song, and it was about Woody and Buzz Lightyear, and you've got a friend in me. I won't sing it with you. All right, You've got a friend in me. So we see all throughout, whether it's television or things that we read, we read about people that have friends. Hey, the Lone Ranger had Tonto, right? He wasn't all alone. Uh, 
Batman had who? Robin. Superman had who? Lois Lane. That's right, very good. You go through all of those. So we'll see in a minute too. Proverbs makes it clear in Proverbs 18.1 that a man that isolates himself seeks his own desire and he rages against all wise counsel. There's something important about friends. We have friends at church. We have friends in our neighborhood. We have friends at work. We have friends from probably high school or college. It, you know, I remember graduating uh, high school and the song that they would always play at graduation at the end was Friends Are Friends Forever by Michael W. Smith. Anybody remember that? Friends are friends forever. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? If the Lord's the Lord of them. Anybody remember that song? Friends. But I didn't keep up with any of them. It should have been separate ways by journey. <laughs> right? Because you're kind of all going different directions. Well, many of them were friends because you were together every day in class. But maybe they weren't friends that we're going to see in a minute. The friend that sticks close, like a brother. The important thing as we talk about friends today is the spiritual power of friends. If I'm looking for friends just for somebody that I can hang out with and have fun, then I'm missing even what we read earlier, that there's a powerful principle in the scripture that we're connected with people that we can pray for one another. I love that verse, and I mentioned it in Deuteronomy 32, verse 30, that one will chase a thousand, but two will chase 10,000. There's more power when we're connected together. In uh, Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered, Jesus says, I am there in the midst of you. So the most important thing with friends isn't that we just build friendships, it's that we look at that friendship as a spiritual connection. We live in a spiritual world. We need people that we can connect with so that we can pray. So Proverbs chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, I want to read that first because I was going through it and I couldn't find listed Solomon's good friends. I couldn't find uh, names. Now maybe it's left out of the scripture, but here's what he said about David and his mom Bathsheba. Proverbs chapter 4, 3 and 4. When I was my father's son, tender, and the only one in my mother's sight, he also taught me. And he said to me, listen to these words, let your heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. When I was the tender one, when I was the only one in my mother's sight, they taught me and they said these things. Let your heart retain my words. Not just a phrase that I memorized, but let it go into your heart. And then he says, keep my commands and live. So in a moment, I want to look back at David. Because David had some friends. And though we may not see friends with Solomon, Solomon has the wisdom of God to maybe point us at David because David understood the power of having a friendship. So Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26 says this. In fact, I want to read some of these Proverbs. I'm just going to throw them out to us. The righteous should choose their friends, what? Carefully. For the way of the wicked leads them astray. We could almost say, uh, the righteous should choose their friends carefully because the wicked may influence 
or impart values that lead them astray. So we're to choose our friends wisely. And then Proverbs 18.24, the one that I had you turn to, a man who has friends must himself be what? Friendly. If you say, I don't have any friends, well, we might start to say, well, you know what? You might not be friendly. Smile, right? Look happy. If you're pouting and just sitting on the bench pouting, I doubt somebody's going to come up and just say, want to be my friend? No, you've got to be friendly. But there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You know, growing up, I have two brothers. Uh, one's birthday is today. Uh, you know, both are younger. And though they're not here to defend themselves on any stories, because I'm sure that they have the, or as they would tell you, they have the true stories. I remember one night coming back, and it wasn't too late, 1130 at night. I had come back from being out, and they must have had a plan that they were going to take me out going to my room. And so they were going to stay up as late as they could to get me. And I remember walking down the hall, and they were pretty creative because one of them would have had to use the, the hard wiffle ball bat with the left hand, while the other one was around the corner using it with the right hand. Any of you played wiffle ball with those yellow, thin, hard bats? All right. One of them went across my kneecaps, and one of them hit me in the bridge of the nose. And I immediately fell forward, and blood was rushing out of my nose. And I thought, I thought we were under attack in the house. <laughs> yeah, I was. Put the light switch on, and I hear giggling from the back room. <laughs> and I yell, Mom! Not my mom, because I'm bleeding. She's probably wondering, what happened? Your boys beat me! You know what she said? She didn't you leave them alone. You're always picking on them. <laughs> I got blood everywhere. Well, I probably was. And she, she probably thought I got my just reward, right? Now she went back to bed, cleaning up blood. Uh, I'm going to do fingerprint. No, I'm not going to do any of that. <laughs> they all went to bed. Well, we'll see in a little bit. We know that um, brothers are born for adversity. Maybe sisters too, but a friend sticks closer than a brother. There's so much power when we have friends. In fact, the message translation says this, friends come and friends go, but a true friend sticks by you like family. Friends come and friends go, but a true friend sticks by you by family. The New Living says this, there are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. You know, I heard somebody one time say, it was at a pastor's conference, and they had said, you know, I run into all these pastors, and they say, I'm lonely, I don't have any friends, and you know what I tell them now? Get a dog. <laughs> I thought that was so rude, right? That's not true, is it? Because the Bible is full of relationships. It starts with God having a relationship with Adam and Eve. And even when Adam and Eve sinned and they were hiding, God still came to them. But the Bible is full of, of relationships, full of people connected together to do exploits for God, full of people coming together for wrong things to do. But it's full of relationships, and it really ends with Jesus and his relationship towards us that he valued. You know, when you look in that verse, there's actually, it says, a man who has friends 
must himself be friendly. That first word, friend, is really what we think of with a friend. It's just somebody that I connect with. It's somebody that I might know a little bit. But that last part of friends is a totally different word in the Hebrew, and it really means a covenant friend. Or when we looked at covenant in the Old Testament, covenant usually meant to cut. Or there was some blood cut because there was a connection. There was a connection in strength and weakness. There was uh, armor given or there was family given. There was a covenant that took place. So when we read this, friends come and friends go. All of us have probably been there before, but there's a friend. There's a covenant friend that sticks closer to you than a brother. Right? That's the wisdom of Solomon. A couple more here. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. We're going to see that in a minute. Faithful are the wounds. That's hard to say that, isn't it? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. Your friends should be sharpening you. They should make you razor sharp. They should be getting off those dull places in you. That's what a good friend does. And then Proverbs 27, 14, I don't know if you ever read this before. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning... It will be counted as a curse to him. Now I put that in there because we had a guy carpool with us when I first was going to Bible college and we took the church van. And he only carpooled with us for one week because we kicked him out because he would start singing the whole way from El Monte to L.A. at six in the morning. And it wasn't quiet, it was loud. And by the end of the week, we were all, you know, that time you're just trying to wake up and get some coffee, you got classes all day and work in the afternoon. And so he didn't last a week in our carpool because he'd sing, sing loud. And in fact, I think somebody showed him this verse. You're a curse in the morning. Shut up, right? But he would just keep going on. So I love when we read things because I wonder where this came out of Solomon if he was up early and some guy's singing out in the vineyard or some, some reason. Then Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Solomon writes this later in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will help his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And then he ends with this. We'll look at this just a little bit later. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Keep that in your thought. But I wanted to go back for just a minute. I want to look at David. Because though I can't find Solomon's good friends, I believe he listened to his father and his mother's teachings. And he heard David's stories. So I want to look at Samuel... Jonathan, Nathan, and then Mephibosheth, really quick. I'm going to look at those four. 
You know, if we started out, we don't have time to read all of it, but in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12 and 13, remember the picture. David is not invited to the feast of the family. He's left out with the sheep. The prophet Samuel has come to the house, and he's going to choose a, the next king, anoint a king of Israel in the house of Jesse. And he goes through, in fact, I love what the Bible says. He starts with the oldest good-looking one but it wasn't him. And he goes all the way down, and it wasn't any of them. In fact, Samuel says those words, do you have anybody else? You know, we forgot one. Actually, we pick this up, and it says this. So he sent him and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good-looking, and the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, just talking about David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. He wasn't the oldest. He was the forgotten about. He's out with the sheep. But he's the one that God called. So I wanted to make this statement today. We need friends in our life that are prophetic voices in our life to know what we're called to do. So let me turn that as a question. Do you have somebody in your life that's prophetic enough to see what you're called to do and call you out? Because that's what Samuel did. Samuel called David out. You know, normally we'd probably think this. I went through all of them. I didn't think, well, let's just anoint the older one and we'll move on. No, he waited. There was one that was supposed to get it. We need people in our life that are prophetic like that, that wait to call us out and call us up. The next one we read about in 1 Samuel 18, 3, says these exact words, Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. When we read that word covenant, it's the Hebrew word to cut. They made a covenant that day. If you read on in chapter 18 there, you'll see where where Jonathan took off his robe and gave it to David and gave him his armor. And if you read later on, David would go out and conduct business now for the, the household of Saul. And he probably looked a little bit like Jonathan because he was wearing his uniform and wearing his armor, but it was David. But David now had this close-knit relationship it was not perverted it was what we could say holy before the lord it was two guys from two different settings that were now committed and connected together jonathan who is the heir apparent king who is a prince and david who's the shepherd boy but he's also in a little bit going to be a fugitive you wouldn't kind of picture those two guys getting together the prince and a fugitive but they did In fact, when Saul wanted to kill David, Jonathan spoke up. When David was hiding in the strongholds of the mountain from Saul, because Saul threatened to take his life every day, mounted up his mighty men to go find David. Uh, We read this in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 17, where Jonathan says this to David. And he said to him, Do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Let me read that again. You shall be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. 
Even my father Saul knows that. We need friends in our lives that remind us over and over again of what God has called us to do. What a good friend in Jonathan. I'll be right next to you when you're king. And even my father that's trying to kill you today knows it. God, let us have friends in our lives that remind us of what we're called to do. In 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12, you can write that down and read that later, David is in the biggest trouble of his life. It's not only that he was with Bathsheba and committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband murdered, but he's done a year-long cover-up. And evidently, he must think that he's getting away with it until he gets a knock on the door one day from the prophet, right, Nathan. And Nathan begins to tell him a little story, and he talks about a man that had a, a rich man that had a lot of lambs and sheep, and then he talks about a poor man that only had one. It was like a family member. And he turns the story, and he says, yet somebody came in, and in fact, the rich man recommended that this guy come and take the one from the man and take it as his own and keep it and eat it. And David, the Bible says, gets aroused in his anger, and he wants this man, and he wants him dead. And then Nathan points probably the bony finger at him and says, you're the man. You're the one I'm talking about. And then he goes in and he begins to list everything that David just did. You know, for many people nowadays, when, when somebody confronts them like that, you know what they have a tendency to do? They'll shut you off and not talk to you ever again. But David shows us the heart of the man. In fact, we read uh, where he says these words in Psalm 51 and later. He says, God, create a clean heart in me. Cast me not from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. David immediately humbles himself before the Lord. We need people in our lives that prophetically slap us when we're off track. And even if they need to say, you're the woman, right? You're the man that get our attention. But we need to be people that respond just as David responded coming before the Lord. He might have been trying to cover it up. It's all come into the light. But we need people like that. You know, so we look at uh, Samuel, Jonathan, and Nathan. If you read later on, when David becomes king, and I love that part, when the ark comes in and David's dancing, and the Bible says he's dancing in his ephod, which we could say he's dancing in his long underwear, he's twirling, and his wife begins to make fun of him. And he says those things. He says, let me tell you, honey, you haven't seen anything yet. So I don't know what he meant by that, but he was going to continue to dance before the Lord. He was doing exactly what God had called him to do from when he anointed him as king. He was establishing worship before the Lord. And yet we find something that's very powerful about David is when the David's in the midst of his kingdom and everything is going well, he thinks back somehow about Jonathan. And he says these words in scripture. Is there anyone left in Saul's house or in Jonathan's home? Is there anybody left that I can, ultimately at the end, that I can bless? In fact, it says this in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. 
He was five years old when news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him, by, took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. 2 Samuel 9.1, David says, Is there anyone left in the house of Saul? Listen to what he says, That I may show kindness because of Jonathan's sake. Do you know to a king there's another heir alive that could be a threat? In fact, if you go back and you read later, Mephibosheth has been picked up and running in haste because of the concern that now David as king is going to come and kill anyone associated with Saul or Jonathan. But notice what it says. It says that David, he wanted to show kindness for whose sake? Jonathan's sake. We don't have time to read about it, but one verse, 2 Samuel 9, verse 11 at the end says, As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he may eat at my table like one of the king's sons. And I love when I read through that story because when he finally sees Mephibosheth and Mephibosheth falls on his face, Mephibosheth calls himself a dead dog. What do you want to do with a dead dog like me? And here's what David does. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you workers on the land. I'm going to give you servants. You're going to live at my house and you're going to eat at my house. Who does that? They usually get completely cut off. It's because David wanted to show kindness for Jonathan's sake. We need to keep honoring people even when we come into our own kingdoms. We need to always be looking back to say, are there people that we can show kindness to? Because you'll never arrive. You'll never get there. And David shows us that heart that he wanted to, because of Jonathan and that relationship, he wanted to show kindness to him. Samuel, a prophetic voice. Jonathan, a covenant friend. Nathan, with the prophetic slap. But then Mephibosheth, that he could show kindness to. You know, we, we looked at Ephesians, or, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, and it ends with that really weird saying, and it says, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know, many times we use that in a marriage ceremony. And it's probably a great example for it because you have the husband, you have the wife. As we read in Genesis, the two become one. And that cord could symbolize or be a symbol of Jesus at the center of that marriage. Many of you have probably heard that before. But it's also mentioned in this scripture about friends. Is that in our friendship, Jesus needs to be the center of that friendship. A friendship will always go better when Jesus is the center of it all, wrapped around there. In fact, Jesus doesn't want to just be in the relationship as a friend. Uh, he's the number one friend. The number one friend. He said in John 15, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friend. It's pretty powerful when he says, no, you're my friend. Think about it. You're Jesus' friend. You're Jesus' friend. He wants to be that center of your life. He wants to be right there with you. It doesn't matter if I don't have all the best friends lined up right now. I have him. 
fact, he said, I don't call you servants. Right? I call you friends. You're my friend. Let's allow Jesus to be that friend in our life, the one that we run to, the one that we can talk to about anything. He's the one wrapped around that's holding everything together. Anyways, the most important relationship that we can have, and he called you out to be his friend ever before you called him out. And he keeps calling you out and keeps saying, I'm your friend, right? Keeps bringing people into our life that can lift us up, that can slap us around because he's the number one relationship in our life. Bow your heads if you would with me today. Lord, we remember Jesus, even with the 12, he pulled and he had the three. He had that close group of people. He would appear to Mary and individuals on the road to Emmaus. He was always about connecting with people, even one-on-one. We'll read through the Gospels and we see names that are thrown out. So Lord, we stop today and we first come and we come with a heart of thanksgiving and thankfulness that we have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords today. He's He can listen as quickly as I can speak. He hears me. He knows me by name. He knows when I lay down and when I rise up. He knows my beginning. He knows my end. There's nothing about me that he doesn't know, and he searches the inside of me. So, Lord, we stop today in awe of how much you love us, how much you care for us, how much you're for us. And yet, Father, use the Holy Spirit on the inside of us to jumpstart us to have that relationship where we hunger and thirst after you, first and foremost. And Lord, we thank you that we live in a time that relationships are so important, there's people to reach. But Lord, I thank you that you've placed around all of us or are placing around us great godly friends. And you've given us wisdom on how to search out friends, to keep friends, to be a friend. And Lord, we thank you for speaking to our hearts today. Lord, we thank you for a church family that we can come. We can look at one another eye to eye and give one another a hug and look forward to seeing one another and praying for one another. We bless you for that today. In Jesus' name we said, amen.